You are listening to the podcast of First Baptist Church of Sevierville, where our mission is helping people move from their point of need to hope in Christ. For more information about our church, head on over to severe.church. Today's sermon, The Truth About Jesus, is part one in the series, Americans, Chapter One, shared by Senior Pastor Dan Spencer. Well, thanks for being here today. I want to ask you to find in your Bible Romans chapter 1, and we're going to read the first seven verses of Romans chapter 1 in just a few minutes. Uh, as, you're, as you're finding that, uh, I want to introduce somebody to you. On Tuesday of last week, God blessed our family with a beautiful little girl named Oakland. Uh, this is uh, her parents, Jacob and Caitlin. That's baby Oakland, and uh, this is just shameless bragging from a grandfather. Is that all right? Uh, I was able to hold her. Uh, She burped. I realized we're going to be good friends. Um, When Oakland was ready to be born on Tuesday morning, she came in a hurry. Her, Her parents almost did not make it to the hospital in time. Uh, were it not for a first responder who uh, turned on the lights, helped them make their way through traffic uh, north of Atlanta, uh, she might have been in real trouble, but she arrived safely, and she is absolutely perfect. She's perfect. We realize her parents are going to corrupt her, but she is perfect, and, and we're so grateful for her. Teresa and I have two sons and four grandsons, So this is our first experience with a little girl. I've been asking around to grandfathers of granddaughters and uh, asking advice. And uh, the consensus is spoil her rotten and give her everything she wants. And so that's my plan uh, going in. Uh, Of course, our whole family's excited. We're celebrating the arrival of this little girl. Uh, But there is sort of in the background... uh, a reality that's very sobering that goes along with the excitement. And that reality is little Caitlin is going to, or Oakland is going to grow up in an America that is drastically different than the one we grew up in. Now, never want to be guilty of the sin of ingratitude for all we have. Uh, here as Americans, we have so much that we should be grateful to God for every day. Uh, So there are a lot of things that are good and right about America, but just real talk, we are a broken nation. We say in our pledge, one nation under God indivisible. But most of the time it feels like two or three nations confused about God and divided. Uh, America is split down the middle on so many issues that divide us from immigration to reparations to guns to abortion and eclipsing all of those issues that divide us is the moral revolution, the sexual revolution that has ripped our nation apart and torn homes apart and friendships apart. It's summed up in the letters of the acronym LGBTQ+. Uh, So much confusion so much vitriol, so much division, and and it makes us wonder, is there any hope for us moving forward? Um, It causes me 
with what's gone on in my family this week to ask what kind of America is my granddaughter going to grow up in? What kind of questions is she going to be faced with? What's it going to be like for her uh, as she follows Christ uh, prayerfully? Uh, how difficult is that going to be for her compared to how it is for me? And uh, as Christians, here's, here's the truth. We believe as Christians that the only hope for healing our land and reuniting our nation is if we turn to God for help. We believe that's the only way. And, and if we're going to see a movement to God happen like that, we believe that it has to begin with us. It is not enough for us to stand in the light and shout at the darkness. Uh, we've got to take the light where it is needed and it has to begin with the people of God standing together on the Word of God and pointing people to the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And so what we need is clarity in these days about who Jesus is and why that matters and who we are as His followers and what it means for us to stand for Jesus, to follow Jesus, to be the hands and feet of Jesus in light of what's going on in our culture today. We need clarity on all that to understand what's happening and how we respond and how we live for Jesus in these days. And so to that end, I've asked you to find in your Bible Romans chapter 1. And I hope it becomes evident why in the next few weeks. Uh, in this opening chapter of Paul's great letter to the church at Rome, we find him covering the identity of Jesus, the true identity of Jesus, the power of the gospel of Jesus, and the way that sin can corrupt a human life, corrupt cultures and nations like ours, if we exchange the truth of God for a lie. And, and Romans 1 tells us about that. And, and what this is going to do as I preach through this and we walk through it together in Romans chapter 1 through the month of July. It's just going to uh, help us get oriented to where we are and how we got here as a nation. And it's going to help us understand in particular the, the sexual revolution going on in America. It's already happened in America and how we ought to respond to that, how we ought to uh, understand that. In fact, Romans chapter 1 is so relevant for our nation at this time that uh, I'm just adjusting the title of this chapter, Romans chapter 1, and I'm calling it Americans chapter 1. And uh, so we're going to look at all of this and, uh, and trust God to give us some clarity uh, because uh, what we must do as the people of God is look to God's word for direction, stand on that together, and, uh, and come what may, we're going to do what is right for the glory of God. So let's read together Romans 1, the first seven verses. Uh, and it's tempting when you open a book of the Bible like this, like Romans, it's tempting to sort of skim the first paragraph, skip over it, 
and get to the real meat of the message. But it would be unwise to do that because of how Paul introduces himself as the human author writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit here, these words of truth. So we're not going to skip that, all right? So let's read it, uh, verses 1 through 7. The Bible says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, so he's the human author, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, we're not going to skip this part where the Apostle Paul identifies himself as the author. He greets the Christians at Rome because Paul begins here uh, by addressing how he sees himself as a Christian living in the world. Now, Paul had dual citizenship. He was a citizen of Israel. He was a Jewish person through and through, uh, but he was also a citizen of the Roman Empire. And he valued that. He talked about that. And uh, there's a parallel there for us as 21st century Americans, uh, we value our citizenship in uh, this great nation. We love it. We celebrate it. This week, we're going to shoot off fireworks and get together with family and sing the national anthem, and and we're going to have a good time celebrating what we have, the liberty we enjoy. We love it, right? But we realize that we have another citizenship in heaven, And we are in this world, but we are not of this world. And our greatest citizenship is in the kingdom of God. And so like Paul, we recognize uh, one citizenship. We value the other. And, uh, And Paul talks here about how while I live in this world as a part of the Roman Empire in the first century, how do I live in this world as a Christian? Uh, how, how do I see myself? In the language of our culture today, uh, we might ask Paul the question, how do you identify? That people ask that for other reasons that we'll get to in a couple of weeks in Romans 1. But uh, for the purposes of today, let's just ask Paul this question. Paul, how do you identify? You're a Roman citizen. You're a Jewish guy. You're a Christian. You're an apostle of Jesus. How do you identify yourself in this world? What is it that really uh, defines who you are as a person following Jesus in this culture? And his answer is really going to give us a good foundation to stand firm on uh, in, in, the, in the changing landscape of American culture. Uh, I can find four statements here 
of a Christian's identity that Paul helps us with. The first one is this. Paul, how do you identify? Well, number one, I think Paul would say, well, if you want to know about me and, and what makes me tick and who I am, then you need to know first and foremost, Jesus is my Lord. In verse 3, Paul refers to Jesus as Jesus Christ our Lord. Lord being a title of supreme authority that only Jesus can wear. It means that no one else is above him. And uh, in, in fact, last week, our uh, kids in VBSMC were learning all the songs, all the Bible studies from the book of Philippians. And they sang a, 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 an amazing song on Friday night in their presentation uh, taken from Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. It's one of the greatest statements in the Bible on the true identity of Jesus, who he is, and, and what he does. And so uh, let me read that for you. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. And listen to how this addresses the lordship of Jesus, that he is Lord. Verse 5. Uh, Paul writes, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Say those words with me, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus has been exalted above everyone, everywhere, to the highest place as Lord now and forever. This passage tells us that God the Father received the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross for our sins. And he raised him from the dead. And then he exalted him to the highest position of ultimate supremacy. And he assures us here that a day is coming. It is not yet here, but a day is coming when everyone everywhere will give their uh, uh, two signs of their submission to the Lordship of Jesus. A physical response comes first when every knee will bow. The Bible says angels in heaven will bow reverently. Followers of Jesus on earth will bow to Jesus happily. Every unbelieving sinner in the world will bow forcibly. And lost souls in hell will bow finally to the lordship of Jesus. And then everyone will give a vocal response. The Bible says every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. What a moment that's going to be when no tongue will be silent, no knee will be unbowed, and no smug atheist, no smart aleck celebrity is going to be able to deny anymore that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. In Romans 1, back in Romans 1, verse 1, listen to how Paul 
identifies himself in light of that truth. Romans 1.1, he introduces himself as Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. I'm Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. That was Paul's way of saying, hey, you want to know who I am? How do I identify? Jesus is my Lord. I am his servant. I serve him. He is Lord and master of my life. It's Jesus who directs my life. It's Jesus who determines where I go and what I say. It's Jesus who sets the priorities for my life. It's Jesus who is in charge of me. I find my identity in his lordship over my life. And that's really what it means to be a Christian, isn't it? That Jesus is in charge. Jesus is Lord. And, and, and if that's true, that clarifies so many things in our lives, doesn't it? If Jesus is Lord and no one else, and he's determining who we are, and we have our identity in him as his servants, we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything else becomes clearer. Not long after Paul wrote this letter in the 50s A.D., many of the Christians of Rome were told at the point of a spear and threatening their life that they should renounce Jesus as Lord and confess the words Kaiser Kurios or Caesar is Lord. In many cases, they would be threatened that they should say Caesar is Lord and take a little pinch of incense and throw it in a flame lit at an altar of worship of Caesar, the head of the Roman Empire. Many of them lost their lives because they were determined, no, what defines me is that Jesus is my Lord. I don't care what anybody else says. I don't care how I'm threatened or what that means. Whatever happens, Jesus is my Lord. That fact for a Christian clarifies everything else. Now, today in America, we are not asked to confess Caesar as Lord. We are not threatened with our lives to give up our faith. Thank God for the freedom that we have. But we still have to decide every day who our Lord is, who's going to run your life. Initially, when you become a Christian, you confess Jesus as Lord. But daily, it's a decision we make, isn't it? Listen, who's going to run my life? Is this culture going to decide for me what I believe and what I value? Or is Jesus going to lead that in my life? Is social media going to influence me most? Or is Jesus influencing who I am? Who is Lord? Is my phone Lord? Is money Lord? Is my career Lord? Are sports the Lord of my life? Are the opinions of other people the Lord of my life? Or is Jesus my Lord? As Christians, here's what we believe. Paul said it. We are bondservants of the Lord Jesus. 
We live in this world, but we're not of this world. And we don't have to bow down to a changing culture. We bow only to Christ. You hear a lot today about making decisions that will land you on the right side of history when all is said and done. Listen, for a Christian, here's what we know. The right side of history is that Jesus is not only the Lord of all, he is my Lord. And come what may, I'm standing with him. And when it's all said and done, I'll be standing on his right side at the end of history. And I'll be saying, yes, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, what identifies us? That Jesus is my Lord. Number two, uh, if we ask Paul, how do you identify? I think he would say next, well, not only is Jesus my Lord, grace is my story. If you want to know about me, I've got to tell you about the grace of God. In verse 5, Paul said, through him, through Jesus, we have received grace. Grace is God loving us in spite of our sin. Grace is God withholding his judgment and instead giving us salvation. Bringing us into his family. It's not because of anything that we have done. We cannot deserve it with our best behavior. We can't buy it with all the money in the world. It's the grace of God. That saves us. Grace was certainly Paul's story. Paul, who had persecuted the church of Jesus Christ, Paul, who had jailed Christians and broken up house churches and arranged for the murder, the martyrdom of many Christians, Paul, on the way to Damascus one day, God arrested him. And Jesus Christ appeared to him and said, Paul, you're persecuting me. And in that moment, Jesus saved Paul, forgiving all of his sins, all of the things he had done to his church. And he saved Paul and called him as an apostle. And so from that point forward, Paul's story was, it's by the grace of God that I am what I am. It's by God's grace that we are saved and, and not of our good works. Grace it's not just the story of Paul. Grace is the story of every Christian. And it's grace that keeps us humble, isn't it? Because I know that every person I see, I was as much a sinner as they are before the grace of God saved me. And I know that without Him, I would be nothing. I was talking yesterday with some friends about that. Where would we be? Apart from the grace of God. I don't know that I would be alive. It's by the grace of God that we are saved. That keeps us humble in this world. And grace makes us compassionate. When we scratch our heads and wonder why do people do the things they do. How can people be so confused? How can they do such horrible things to one another? The answer comes back. That's what sin does. And it's by the grace of God that I'm not doing the same things. And so that gives me compassion for other people in my life and others in the world. I know that nobody is outside the reach of the grace of God. And so Paul, how do you identify? Well, Jesus is my Lord. Grace is my story. And then third, I think Paul would say scripture is my guide. 
How do I navigate through this life? Scripture, God's Word, is my guide. Paul believed in the truth of Scripture. In verse 2, he makes this statement. Talking about Jesus and the gospel. He said, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scripture. Paul looked in Scripture, believed that as truth, and it guided his life. The truth of Scripture for us is like an anchor that holds us steady while our culture shifts and changes around us. That's why it's so important for us to study God's Word, to read God's Word every day, to take a little time at least to get into the Word of God so that we can take in that truth and it will guide us in the right way. I was reading the other day about George Washington. And by the way, our church has a unique perspective on the 4th of July because when we talk about America and our independence, our church has existed for almost the entirety of American history. Did you know this church began in 1789, the same year the Constitution of the United States was ratified, and the same year George Washington was elected as president. Uh, Our church has been around a long time, uh, all through all of that. And the year our church was founded, when George Washington was president, it, it caused me to read a little about George Washington this past week. Here's what I read, that in Washington's journal that he kept with him all the time, on the first page were these words, let me live, it's a prayer, let me live according to those holy rules which you have this day prescribed in your holy word. Direct me to the true object Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. Bless, O Lord, all the people of this land. Uh, I just love the fact that Washington said, Lord, here's how I want to live today. I'm going to live according to your holy rules that you have prescribed in your holy word. That's a good prayer for us. As Christians, that's how we live our lives. We don't make it up as we go along. No, we keep going back to the scripture For guidance, sometimes, sometimes living that way means that you believe the opposite of what all your friends believe, and it can be lonely. Sometimes living according to God's word means standing in opposition to what everybody else says is right. Sometimes Believing God's word, being guided by God's word means that you say things and do things that others think are crazy. But we do it because we're living our lives by the word of God. That's what it means to live for Jesus in this world. Jesus is my Lord. Grace is my story. Scripture is my guide. And one more thing, the gospel is my calling. Look at what Paul said in this, about this. In verse 1, Paul identifies himself as someone who has been separated to the gospel of God. It's an interesting way to say this. But I think what Paul is saying is, look, as a Christian living in this world, I've been called out. God has, has given me a new purpose in my life. I've been separated to the gospel of God. That means 
That wherever I am and whoever I'm with, I realize that God's calling on my life is to share the gospel with my words, to spread the gospel through whatever means I can, and to demonstrate the gospel in the way that I treat other people and the way that I live my life. And Paul was faithful to that. He was not perfect, but he was faithful to that. That wherever he was, his idea was, look, I'm on mission for God. Whoever I'm with, I've got to tell them the gospel that saves them. And this is the calling of every Christian. As Christians, this is the way we live our lives. That wherever I am, I know that Jesus sent me there. And I have a purpose. And and whatever I do, whether it's being a student or competing in athletics or being an employee or being a, a, a husband or wife or a mom or dad or being a grandparent, whatever I'm doing, I know that the underlying purpose of all that I'm doing, wherever God put me, is to show and share the good news of the gospel. That's the calling on my life. And uh, in fact, he, he says in verse 6 to the Roman Christians, he said, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. This is how we live our lives. We have a calling, and that calling centers around the gospel of Jesus. And so, uh, it's important for us to settle all that before we go any further into Romans chapter 1. Uh, we're going to hit some... Uh, hardcore things to talk about, some difficult things. And so let's settle this first. Jesus is my Lord. Grace is my story. The Scripture is my guide. And the Gospel is my calling. Let's stand together and let's pray about it this morning. I want to ask our pastors to come and, and take their place, be ready to pray with anyone who might have some spiritual need today. We're going to be here for you, to pray for you, and to help you. If you need salvation, we want to be here to lead you to Jesus today. And so uh, we'll be waiting here even as we pray. You feel free to come from wherever you are uh, for help from one of our pastors. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for anyone here who's never before bowed their knee to Jesus and confessed that Jesus is Lord. Lord, anyone here who is unsaved today, lost in their sin, we pray that today would be the day that all that changes and that they come to Jesus for salvation. Lord, this world we're living in can be confusing, can be hostile to our faith, Leaves us many times standing alone, standing out. And so I pray for strength for my brothers and sisters here today. That we would stand boldly for you and say, yes, Jesus is Lord of my life. The scripture, the Bible guides me in how I think and how I act. 
my story that I have to share with the world. I feel like it's my calling under God is a story of grace that Jesus loves and Jesus saves. God, I pray that we would nail those things down today. That this is what we're known for. This is how we identify to the rest of the world. That we are Christians. We're the people of Jesus. Lord, help us. Strengthen us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and share. And if you want a pastor to follow up with you regarding today's message, reach out to us at severe.church slash follow up. Thanks again for joining us on the First Baptist Church Severeville podcast.